Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Bonnie Chavda by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. Good morning, church. As we worship together and celebrate, especially in one of the greatest culminations of God's redemptive acts in the earth that were initiated and facilitated by the finished work of Jesus. And Armand, if you would, I would like you to lead us in a refrain of that heartfelt prayer and song that we have sung this morning in particular. Let your glory fall. And let us each today drink afresh from the well of salvation. Because the giving of the Spirit was for the earth God's final act and demonstration that He continues to do for everyone of every language, in every place, who hears the word of the Lord, who turns and receives his gift. And so today, for all of us here and watching at home, we receive afresh, Lord, let your glory fall on us. Let the earth your glory cover us. Let the light of your river flow. Let the truth of your kingdom reign in us. Let the the weight of your glory fall. Let the weight of your glory cover us. Let the Pentecost feast day, the fulfillment and demonstration of generations of shadows of the gift that was to come was finally manifest. It was significantly in the understanding of those who had kept the Jewish feast in their traditions that God at last on that day when the people said, what does it mean, and others mocked. There will always be that question, what does this mean? And there will always be mockers. But God was taking man into his heart and mind back to the very beginning of our ordination and creation as his image bearers but had determined now through the finished work of his son to breathe into everyone that awakened in Christ. Not just that life-giving breath that came first into Adam's nostrils, but the literal third person of the Godhead, the life-giving spirit that raised Christ from the dead, 
was now to come and be distributed first in that upper room in Jerusalem, but then through their preaching, all on whom those tongues of fire rested were scattered to the four winds, as we've heard read this morning. Scattered because they carried the unspeakable gift that every man, woman, child in every nation, every language, every family was to be recipient of through their preaching and the laying on of hands, that gift. It was the actual demonstration in the earth of what had happened at Sinai when God came down and spoke in voices and thunders and fire and gave his word, his law. It was the undoing of the catastrophic event of the building of the Tower of Babel when human beings devised human plans and decided to build for themselves a great tower reaching into heaven to make for themselves a great name. And in all of the ancient Jewish understanding, they recognized that the greatest works of man would always seek to supersede the wisdom and kingship of God. And so that day was the beginning of the most glorious, and we are recipients. When the apostle told Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you, he wasn't saying one of the apostolic fivefold ministry gifts. He wasn't talking about various gifts of healing or tongues or all of those uh, diversities of ministrations that the Spirit gives us when he comes. He was speaking specifically, don't neglect, but share and steward the fact that you have received the gift of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it was the fulfillment of what God had called Abraham out of Mesopotamia for, to, make, to bless him and make him a blessing to all the families of the earth. He was speaking then, as he's speaking now, of receiving the gift of the Father, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that makes the church of Jesus uniquely the singular location in the earth where light and truth may be found. In a devastating study at the end of May this year, led by the gentleman who founded the Barna Research Group, did a survey of American pastors and pastoral staff and the results were astounding and catastrophic. They found that in some of the denominations, those who actually held a biblical worldview as the senior pastors and senior staff were in single digits. And in the most traditionally, biblically worldview grounded, the very most in any group was just 50%. Devastating. We have received a gift and a sure word. And may God help us today to be all the more firmly rooted and grounded in this truth and immovable and unshakable, beginning with the testimony of our progenitors, the very eyewitnesses of these things, who saw Christ, saw him transfigured on the mountain, revealed as the king of glory, the immortal son of man, son of God, 
and then saw him crucified and dead and buried. And then saw him, ate with him, walked with him, talked with him in the resurrection. And received from him the apocalyptic prophecy about how things would unfold towards the coming of the Lord, towards that great day. And received from him the commission. Go. Go into all the world. To every family. Do not neglect the gift you have been given. Preach this good news everywhere and make disciples, followers of this word. It's a living reality that supersedes all others. And part of the wonderful mystery and majesty of being joined to this living body whose head is in heaven, seated on the throne of the cosmos as Lord of lords, as king of kings, governor of governors, ruler of rulers. Our gathering is unto him. And we are supernaturally joined, even now as we are in the earth, to others also joined to him. And did you hear that little ding off of my iPad that just came through? I was just about to speak to you for a moment of Josh Hollingsworth, and he's texting me at this moment. He's in Turkey. I don't think he's actually watching this. I think this is one of those things. But two days ago, in fact, it was on Friday. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. <laughs> He's testifying. If I could give him a microphone, he would preach to you about Pentecost this morning. But I'm going to show you what I woke up to at just a little after 4 o'clock this morning. And the reason for this is because it's a personal testimony to us today about the message of Pentecost of being joined in one language with the church throughout the earth and be anointed to lay hands and give this gift away and recognize that we are joined to a great body of believers who are no longer staring up into heaven as those disciples were, but recognize that we're here working, sharing the gift until he comes. So I thought of Josh two days ago, and the thought went through my head, I need to text him and tell him that this Pentecost is a special day for him. I had no idea where he was. He serves as part of the leadership of the ramp uh, in our southern states here. In some of his early discipling days, he came here as a son of the, this house after he had a, a very unusual encounter when he was a very unusual and very out there, young man. And our relationship continues today. So at a little after four o'clock, I got this little video. Iranian church in Turkey. Pentecost, Pentecost, Pentecost across the globe, experiencing afresh the realities of what has been delivered to us. Praise the Lord. And today, as we commune together at the end of the message and we uh, our lead, Ken, is going to come and he's going to help us to take communion together. We are also going to commune with several members of our body who have been fighting some serious physical setbacks. 
and they are members of us. And so out of our strength and faith, as we take communion together, we are also believing that their healing will be incorporated into this service today with a manifestation of miracles of healing. Can you believe? Even Pastor Mahesh, who had completely planned on being your preacher this morning on this special day. And a couple of days ago, Pastor Mahesh started looking a little gray. And um, we decided to go and get him checked out, and it turned out that uh, in one of the principal uh, prescriptions that has been a part of his regimen for many years had been changed, and possibly as a result of that, he needed three liters of blood, of hemoglobin. <laughs> so he just came home yesterday. He's doing fine, but he's very disappointed that instead of being able to be here celebrating in person inside the building, he is instead with us in spirit. We are one body. We are one body. So thank you for your prayers, and we will include Pastor Mahesh as we pray today. Another example that I thought to mention was a little moment in the watch, and this, of course, comes again with the exhortation you hear from me often, online and here, come to the watch. So at the watch on Friday, as we were praying about the nations and praying into the event of Pentecost, the Lord laid it on Richie's heart to specifically pray for the denominational dynamic. Now, I've just reported to you what has recently been discovered about the famine of the word of God in our churches, our practicing churches. And supposedly, the smaller the church is, the more the biblical worldview is held and adhered to and lived out. But as the churches grow and become more and more multicultural, they lose grasp of the very foundations and begin to compromise with many of them and perpetuate that in their thinking and way of living. But in the watch on Friday, as Rich stood up to pray, he chose to pray for the Presbyterians denominationally and for the Catholics. And he used a phrase of God would once again blend us together as the body of Christ. That is exactly what the day of Pentecost was to do. We need a fresh baptism in the Spirit. Not towards general compromise or embracing contemporary culture, but a restoration, a repentance, a revisitation, and a regrounding in the place of which the Bible says the church is the ground and pillar of truth in the world. That one place where Joel prophesied, Jesus in Matthew 24 prophesied, and John in the revelation of Jesus Christ in our, our, our last book of the Bible. They all saw these three catastrophic events and named them. They said the sun would be darkened, the moon turned to blood, and the stars would fall from the sky before the coming of the Lord. Well, in those days... It was understood that the world cultures revolved around various religions that all held that the great lights that were in the sky were connected to specific gods and spiritual powers, but not the God, the living God. And so all of those equal prophecies are also referring to a time when God would visit the place of his feet in the earth. And whereas all the great light offered by world systems or religions would suddenly dim, darken, and fail, the light of Christ would arise in the earth. Arise, shine, your light has come. So when you read those 
proportions recognize, and aren't we seeing the great lights fail and fall in our day? As one preacher put it, when we freeze water, it becomes an ice cube. When God freezes water, it becomes snow. What a contrast. Surely, when man decides to go up and make a great name for himself, in his mercy and righteousness, God decides to come down to make his name great. And that's what he did on the day of Pentecost. Three catastrophic, catastrophic examples in 2022. The uplifting of man's plan for directing world health in epidemics. The abject failure of those same systems as demonstrated in the COVID crisis conundrum worldwide where one plan of man was like a domino falling, creating destruction on so many other areas of healthful life. The world food supply chain breakdown that has only just begun to impact populations. And one tiny example, though not tiny at all, to the families impacted is the baby formula disaster in America. Of all the nations in the world, the very last system in the earth that should have been impacted by something as essential as baby formula supply? Man's plans are futile, and their light ultimately turns to darkness. Or the myriads of so-called peace treaty and international compacts supposedly guaranteeing various nations' security against invasion and war. And most notably now, the ghost of the Budapest Memorandum and the second and third Minsk agreements hang over modern Ukraine in the ongoing conflict with Russia. And as Yulia Mendel, who previously served as Zelensky's, uh, President Zelensky's press secretary said, it is clear that the well-established system of security guaranteed by documents with possibly faults, as we see in the case of Russia, signatures, jovial smiles, and firm handshakes on camera are no longer relevant. Earlier agreements do not respond to the informational dynamics or to the modern hybrid methods of warfare. Certainly that men making agreements to supply arms in response to nations disarming in order to guarantee peace and security between nations is a catastrophic oxymoron. The great lights, man's best laid plans, will fail. Why? Because there is an endemic problem in the human race that can only be resolved and healed and made whole and given new life through Christ Jesus. An individual heart salvation and transformation and the ongoing infilling and communion with the third person of the Godhead in Pentecost. Praise the Lord. One of the most famous pieces of art is this particular piece of the Tower of Babel. You've seen it, I'm sure. It was painted in 1563 by Peter Bruegel. He was a Flemish artist. He was born three years from the start of the Reformation when in Martin Luther's thesis and the, the uh, results of it was to attempt to strip the world, especially churches, of art. And in the Reformation, 
especially Orthodox denominations and the Catholics, went through a great time of suffering as the iconoclasts stripped and destroyed many great works of religious art. But this is Peter Bruegel painting of the Tower of Babel. And I'm showing it to you because this is where we start in order to understand and appreciate the gift that we have been given in Pentecost. So God helping me, I'll unfold it just a bit, though you may know it already. Another piece of art is from St. Mark's Basilica, created in the 13th century in Venice. You can see the influences of the Byzantine architecture and many other things, but the millions of pieces of mosaic tile in gold relief depicting the various scenes of the Bible. And at the center there in the dome, which is common among the great cathedrals, the picture of Christ raised and seated on the throne of heaven as the Pentocrator. In other words, the ruler and creator of the entire world. But uniquely in the depiction of the Tower of Babel, which we see here, no, the mosaics, yes, this is a piece on one of the reliefs, and you can see there the scaffolding and the men and their tools working and all of that. And it is the scene from Genesis 11 that describes the technologies of the day, which were becoming very advanced, making bricks they could build structures with that were, that were uh, defensible against all foes and able to build straight up and hold together. And the tools and the mixtures of the mortar and the various things to bake together the bricks. But in all of those things, it is the antithesis of God's divine building plan of his family tower in the earth, made not of man-created uniform bricks baked, but of living stones fitted together through a miracle of communion and relationship with God and one another, and thereby reaching, if you will, into heaven in visitation. As compared to the one that was built on the plain of Shinar, the famous ziggurat, and once again it was because, as I said already, the cultures believed that the great lights were gods, and they were going to build themselves a tower where man could stand at the top and the gods would meet them there and give them power for a great name. Interestingly enough, in this particular piece, right next to it, if you can see it, there are two towers there. And the second tower depicts Christ and his followers superimposed in front of the tower. And it's as though the artist has put together these two contrasting towers to show what man decided to do and what God ultimately did in response of making himself a great name. And one of the things that... Um, is interesting about this piece. One of the early church fathers, Archbishop of Lyon, Ucherius, who was an aristocrat, and after the death of his wife, he withdrew into an extreme ascetic lifestyle. But he is among the many authors of one of the earliest church commentaries on the Bible, where the Desert Fathers and many others remarked with insight about various narratives in Scripture. And it appears that 
Eucherius' remarks and the depiction of this image are illustrations of one another. Where Christ is seen there as coming down, if you will, on the tower and being superimposed as the God of gods and the King of kings. And Eucherius says, God does not change place, but is always and everywhere a totality. And when Genesis 11, verse 7, God says, let us go down, it means he's doing something on earth. Amen? Amen. Since the building of Babel, nations have formed alliances, mutual aid pacts, power blocks, economic treaties, made leagues, formed unions, united nations, solemnly pledging their word to innumerable peace treaties, and they have all ended in dismal failure. Instead of peace, there is discord and strife and hatred, mistrust, intrigue, confusion, frustration, and war after war. That's the record of man since the dawn of history. Man trying to build a temple of peace without God, the peace giver, the one who he himself is our peace through his finished work at the cross. His ascension and being seated on high and generously giving the gift of the Spirit to everyone who believes. Like that tower on the plains of Shinar, shifting plains of human wisdom, seeking to bind themselves together with ropes of sand in the form of diplomatic agreements, certainly not founded on the rock, will certainly, like that foolish man's house, fall when the wind and rain, the storms of life, come. But with the act of Pentecost, the unusual miracle that occurred in languages, in tongues, where suddenly the Galileans, who were identifiable by their dialect and the way they spoke, if you remember Peter when he was in the courtyard of Caiaphas, and they recognized him because of the way he spoke and said, you're one of the Galileans. And then he proved it all the more by the ungainly, ungodly things he said in reply. <laughs> But it was those men and women who, when the tongues of fire rested on them in fulfillment of Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord, particularly verse 7, divides the flames of fire and ends with, in his temple, everyone cries, glory, your kavod has fallen on us. Those Galileans speaking in language that was heard and understood in at least 15 different dialects. There was no possible way to bring together the proselytes and the Jews and the Gentiles and the ones coming from all of those different places all over the world. There was no way to join them together in one sound, but God did it. In the same way, he freezes water and makes the snow to fall on everyone. Only this time, he came in fire. Hearkening back to the promise of Sinai. Fulfilling the covenantal promise to Abraham that through his seed, a blessing would come on every family in the earth. He was speaking of Pentecost and the undoing of the futile hope 
in man's systems. For surely all great lights will ultimately fail, except the one whose countenance is like the shining sun in its strength, the light of the world. And so it is by that giving of himself through the Spirit in us that then Jesus says to his disciples, you are it. You are the light of the world. Do not neglect this gift that is in you. For not everyone has shared this gift yet, but you have believed and received. Therefore, go into all the world and preach this good news to every creature and teach them to come along in a biblical worldview and in communion with the head who is king of kings and lord of lords. So this was the miracle that we heard read today in three particular portions of scripture. And the unfolding events in those first days of the giving of the Spirit. But we find in those narratives our own story of the advent into our lives, of us seeking to discover what it means to know Christ and to follow him. Often in the face of mocking and rejection, unbelief, but even in that scattering as what happened in the beginning through persecution, it was God in them going back into all the world to recover every language, every nation, every family from among men. He builds his church on Mount Zion. He caused the believers to speak in tongues to demonstrate there is one place where there can be a common language, and it is not in political correctness or equity and so-called diversity and inclusion. Because as we are seeing in the West, there is nothing more divisive than to try and impose on a rational society that if a man decides he'd rather be a woman, we have to call him a woman. Or that supreme adjudicators, judges, who are called to be the stewards of the only possible societal rule that can serve as a foundation would be a genuinely truth true and righteous system of justice. But for them to decide at whimsy that in fact a woman should be encouraged and have the liberty to murder her unborn children. And we must not only accept but celebrate it or be under threat if we speak the truth. Nothing more divisive. But it all the more points to the gift you have received and the significance of your life in this hour where God has ordained to plant you. And we are planted together, grafted into him. He sent the Holy Spirit in contrast with the confusion of all men that occurred at Babel. And in that sending, shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. And he is building his church on Mount Zion. We remember what the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 12 says, speaking of the new Sinai, speaking specifically of being filled with the Spirit as one body. You have come to Mount Zion. Say, have come. So where do we dwell now? In Mount Zion. 
this building, this tower, this temple of God's own possession, his own home address, our home as well. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn registered in heaven. You have a citizenship that is written down on an eternal record by the author of our salvation. By name, he knows us. The numbers of hair on our heads. And for some of us, his math is getting easier. <laughs> to God, the judge of all, would that God come down in our judiciary and be the supreme judge directing the minds and heart and wisdom of those who have been given the great lifetime appointment of deciphering our foundational document, the Constitution, and ratifying laws accordingly. To the spirits of just men made perfect, never forget that you are joined not only to the living now, you have been joined as family with Peter, with James and John, with those first eyewitnesses, and with all of the men and women, great and small, hidden and notorious, down through the ages, who have received this gift. You are a part of that same family. And indeed, may it be to God that when you or I find ourselves in the courtyard of Caiaphas, they will genuinely know who we are and we won't deny it. The spirits of just men made perfect. Remember Moses, who didn't get to enter the promised land when he was a mortal man, stood on that mountain in the land with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Together with Elijah, and they were talking about heaven's plan that the Messiah was about to fulfill. You're joined to that cloud of witnesses. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The one whose body became the torn veil opening the very presence of God himself and saying, anyone who is thirsty, let him come and drink. Drink deeply. And to the blood of sprinkling, that final word that speaks better things, better things than oppression by demons, better things than the failure of man's systems, better things than disease, better things than violence and hopeless despair, better things than being trapped in addiction or various kinds of sin, better things. There is a blood, there is a sound, there is a voice speaking today, and it speaks for you and I, because that blood has also cleansed us and made us little individual dwelling places for God himself by his spirit. And then has together made us across the world in Turkey today one body with the saints. Praise the Lord. And I started to mention a little event in the watch as Rich was impressed by the Spirit to pray concerning the denominations. And Rich, I don't know if you were aware of the survey that I just uh, reported about the diminishing of a biblical worldview among practicing churches. But as he began to pray for the Presbyterians and the Catholics and God to do such a work at Pentecost to bring the body of Christ back together in a great blender. He was speaking 
of the giving of the Spirit. And as he was praying, he saw these two great doors. And we were inspired by and being led by the worship team. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, from Psalm 24. Psalm 24, right? Psalm 24, yeah. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory will come in. And Rich said, and I see him, they're 30 feet tall, and they're way two tons, and they're, you know, a foot thick of great wood. And I see us pushing, and I see the doors opening. And let's just, together as the watch, do a prophetic act, and let's push the doors open and say, lift up your heads, O ancient doors, and the king of glory will come in. And in a few minutes... David came over and said, I've seen those doors. I was an associate pastor in the First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. Those doors you saw are there. And so indeed, we went and got on Matterport of First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a very ancient church with a kind of story in a way like the nation. And indeed... The doors Rich saw, there they are. Those are the two big doors. They're open. They look kind of curved because of the event of the uh, Matterport 3D. But it is through those doors out of the choir chamber into the sanctuary that the choir comes to lead and worship. And what we learned is that those great doors, heavy doors, are so balanced According to David, one person can open those doors with one hand. A message for us this morning. To every heart, to world systems whose doors are closed and people are shut in or shut out. The solution, my friends, is sitting in front of me today and listening to our voice around the world and across this nation. You're it. We remember the exhortation in the watch a few weeks ago from Daniel chapter 2, where all the wise men of Babylon were going to be destroyed because the king had had a disturbing dream. And the wise men said, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, no, you tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. He wanted to find someone who actually had more than magic and human knowledge. He needed to hear from the God of gods, the supreme ruler. And Daniel and his friends went aside as they always did in communal fasting and prayer together and prayed to the Lord. And there in Daniel 2, uniquely in the Amplified Version, it says that God revealed to Daniel the solution to the king's dilemma. Oh, may God have mercy on us that the people who sit in the seats of transportation secretary or border czar or on the World Health Organization, or with their great money and influence, go and uh, create all kinds of witty things together at Davos. May God populate those places with real salt and real light. And even if he doesn't, may salt and light be found in Zion for all the world to see. That, my friends, is what Pentecost is all about. There's an interesting literary form that the Bible often uses. In a way, it's almost a kind of poetry. It's called a chiasma. And how it works is that 
the verses will contain the same themes. And they will work from construct to the intervention of God and his plan to the destruction of that construct in order to make a point. And a notable one is the event of the Tower of Babel. I gave, you're looking at it here. I just will read to you uh, from Genesis 11. Remember, friends, Pentecost, and this may be new to some of us, this concept of how historic and, and, and cataclysmic and significant and meaningful culturally and redemptively and according to the old prophecies and the covenant promises of God and looking into the future for his redemptive plan on the earth prior to the coming of the Lord, that it was all centered in Pentecost. But they understood that it was the direct, God's direct response at last to the event of Babel. And therefore, similar successive events in the course of man's unfolding history. So, as you're looking at these things, you see the verses are noted there in red, and then on, on the, uh, the right-hand side, as you're looking, and on the left-hand side, you see the letters A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then you see the letters beginning to go backwards in the un as God works his undoing of that catastrophic plan that man had made for themselves. So as you, as you look at it, you can see the similar or same themes in beginning to end and moving towards the center verse, verse 5, where the Lord comes down. And it begins in verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech, so globalism is not a new idea. It's an old, old one. And there be, may be newer technology, but I'm telling you, Babel was cutting edge in its day. Now we're moving towards AI and the attempt to literally create humans without an inbreathed soul. Wow. Don't think it's impossible. But Lord, hear our pray, our prayer come down. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. They all were following ESG regulations and uh, adhering to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, and this is significant because God, if you remember, had sent after the flood, basically had said, go into all the world, multiply, which was originally what was said at Genesis. So now that's why Pentecost is the new beginning, the new Genesis. Go into all the world, multiply, Christians, multiply on the earth. Multiply, say multiply. We need to multiply. It's our commission. It's the DNA that's in us in every way that we multiply. They journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Obviously, there were no mountains there. And the ancient peoples believed that mountaintops were the places where gods dwelt and men could go there and become gods. And they decided to make themselves a mountain. Then they said to one another... And if you're watching the language, you see the seas. We'll get to the second set of verses. The seas, as the A's and the B's, all speak to one another. So they said to one another, come, let us build ourselves. Oh, sorry. Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Remember, this is in... Object opposition to God's design and building. Remember Abraham looking for a city whose founder and maker is God? Living stones. Living stones. Like the rock that Daniel saw cut out of heaven without hands. Not made by man's hands. 
flung to the earth that hit the feet, the foundations of that terrible dream, that image that the king looking for a solution came to Daniel to discover what God was trying to say and do. And that rock, that living stone, the cornerstone <laughs> hit the foundations of all of the great nations. And they began to fail one after the other. But in their failing, we see also that they diminished in value. We have had a great diminishing of basic human values in the name of humanism and globalism. It's not working. <laughs> so they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And you see, they were in, uh, like intuitively, in their own strength, deciding for themselves and working against the very plan of God, which was to multiply and go into all the earth. Their plan was the opposite. But the Lord came down to see the city and truly, God the judge of all is just, always righteous. He went and looked over Sodom and Gomorrah before he dropped a single flaming boulder on it and sent messengers to get the righteous out he is just and good and true. But like they said of Aslan, he is good, but he's not safe. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. It's not talking about whether it will be successful. They're going to do it. Because they get together and write regulations and install bureaucrats that behind the scenes start running the lives of whole societies, unelected, but given great authority to implement their feudal plans. We need real solutions. They can only be found in those who carry the Spirit of God and know this word as the world uh, lens through which they view the world. The Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come. Say, come. Let us go down. And they're confused, their language. Aren't you glad that the Lord in his mercy decides to actually make men's futile plans fail? We have had a great awakening over the past two terrible years and possibly more, even more terrible ones to come now. But the church is hopefully awakening and being reestablished where we should be on a rock that when everything else is shaking, we will not be moved. Praise the Lord. Confuse their language, and that's the word babble. It means confusion. That's why it's called the Tower of Confusion. That they may not understand one another's speech, and possibly that's one of the most effective ways we can pray against the encroaching overreach of man's feudal systems that ultimately begin to be enemies of healthy families and future generations that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. Say all the earth. This is always God's view. It's not just a few in a 
secret place, corner somewhere. No. He wants his message to be noised abroad, to be scattered like snow, falling on everyone through the power of the Spirit and the good news of the gospel. They ceased building the city, and therefore its name is called Babel, because there, say there, the Lord confused the language of all the earth. God is a God of location. God is a God of location. It will be there in particular places among the gathering of men and specifically there in the gathering of his church together that he comes to make himself known. Imagine David's surprise. As he was sitting there in the second row, right there in the watch. And unbeknownst to Rich, Rich gets up and starts speaking prophetically and praying a prayer that goes right back to David's clerical origins. Nobody can figure this stuff out. Only God, the judge of all, the mediator of all, the one who knows all the hairs on our heads. The one whose blood is speaking better things. We commune together in a very real way. And you know the Lord was laughing. Rich, he was tickled when you started saying it. And David's eyes about popped out of his head. And then for the rest of us to see that those doors really are there. And just a confirmation of, yes, I have a plan. Even for all of the divisions in the body of Christ to bring something new, to do a new work and bring them back together in communion with me in one true speech, pure speech, the language of the Spirit. And from there, say there, the Lord scattered them abroad over all the face of the earth. So what is our message for today? In the portions of scripture that we heard, he said, carry this to the ends of the earth until he comes. In the second portion we heard, everyone, say everyone, was filled. Men and women from everywhere were filled with the Spirit of God, were given one language. Every tongue. At the same time that the great lights had begun to darken. It's relevant for us today. And lastly, in the third part, we heard of repentance, of believing, of hearing the message and receiving it, of a demonstration and healing and deliverance in signs and wonders. And then we heard that not everyone who had heard the message of the gospel had also received the gift. And so carriers of the gift were sent to lay hands and impart the Spirit of God. And so Pentecost continues to burn and perpetuate. Hearing the voice Repent, change your mind, choose wisdom, believe the message, and let nothing and no one deter you from it. Receive the gift and give the gift away because we are the heirs of the promise to Abraham fulfilled in Christ to be blessed that we might be a blessing to every family in the earth. And so as the writer of Hebrews exhorts us, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, speaking of Sinai, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And this once more indicates the removing of the things that
that are being shaken. There are many things shaking today, friends. We are watching God in his unfolding plan and determination to come down to us. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And therefore, say therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace. I think we should say this together. We're going to prepare to take communion. And as we take communion together, we are also going to have our offerings ready because we're going to do this together today. We're going to incorporate into our taking of communion various members of this body, including pastor, who have been assaulted or confronted with various maladies in their bodies. We're going to bring our offerings as families, as households together and give our offerings and then go directly through a fire tunnel, which we haven't done for a while because we want to lay hands on one another again today in an act of faith, of believing, receiving, imparting the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in dynamic power, authority for solutions to our dilemmas in Jesus' name. Say, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The blessing of Pentecost, friends, fall on us afresh today. Amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-6264. God bless you.